bad and bullshit. Welcome to Bad and Bitchy. Today we have a great podcast for you. We have Kathleen Newman Bramang. You know, Kathleen, you know I practice that. <laughs> Thank you. You got it perfectly. Who, who is, I've always said, the top pop, pop culture writer in the country. So let's talk about something that you did write and that you yes, have. Please have been on Boxes Today Explained because I listened to it like a few <laughs> couple of months ago. And you wrote an article, a long form actually, um, about the word woke and about how it's been co-opted by the right wing to break down our ability to use our language Mm -hmm. to be able to define our experiences and our realities. So can you talk a bit about the term woke, the Black community, and kind of what the ge genesis is and the over time? Yeah, well, I'll start with like why I wanted to write this piece. So we were doing, um, this was this past February, we were doing um, a package, as we call it. It's like a series of stories for Black History Month. And we were doing it on uh, banned books. It's called Unbanned, and we really wanted to delve into what we were seeing in the U.S., but also in Canada, and we really wanted to unpack what was happening, the phenomenon we're seeing in the U.S. and in Canada about um, people wanting to, like, stifle history, and by doing that, by stifling education and by um, banning books. And to me, the thing that I saw, the word that I saw at the center of this was the word woke. And I start my piece off by talking about all these um, different um, educational school board meetings and how there's always a parent screaming about the woke left or screaming about, I don't want my kid to be too woke, quote unquote. And so the idea that wokeness or that word was a stand in for something that it didn't even really mean and that it had been so twisted and bastardized and taken from us i really wanted to explore that so you you asked about the origins this word really like at its core woke just means being aware being awake being you know privy to um what is happening in the world um and that can be you know oppression um inequality, all of that, but it's really just knowing and understanding that all of that exists. And, um, you know, there's a lot of conflicting reports and it's hard to trace the word's exact origin, but a lot of historians trace it back to Jamaican activist Marcus Garvey. And his work. That was the interesting part. It's really interesting. So in 1923, uh, Marcus Garvey told his followers, wake up Ethiopia, wake up Africa. And that was a sentiment, you know, aimed to inspire political consciousness and social activism in the wake of colonialism. And then fast forward to 1938, there is a protest song by Huddy Ledbetter, um, and their artist name is Ledbelly, and that included the actual phrase, stay woke. And it's uh, a part of the spoken word component in this song. 
and it's a reference to the story of these nine black boys and men who were falsely accused of raping two white women in Alabama in 1931. So the song references this story, and it says to stay woke. And then we fast forward to the 60s, and there's a piece in um, the New York Times, I believe. Yes, piece in the New York Times, 1962, and it was called If You're Woke, You Dig It. And the piece kind of goes through the slang terms that the quote-unquote Negro community used in Harlem at the time. And it talked about black slang and the evolution and the appropriation by white people, fittingly. Like, it's so funny to go back through history and find the things that are still so relevant. And then in 1965, Martin Luther King Jr. gave a speech at Oberlin College. And in that speech, he said, the great challenge facing every individual graduating today is to remain awake through this social revolution. So at this point, in the 60s, woke is a term that really just means, again, to be aware. Um, and then as it goes, you know, to the 70s and 80s, this is a word used by scholars, it's used by academics. And then I would say the reintroduction of this word comes from Erica Badu in the song Master Teacher. And this was in 2008. And it re- includes the refrain, I stay woke. And she says that over and over again. Um, and then, you know, from there, Childish Gambino has the song Redbone that includes the word woke. releases the series called woke it is really like becomes a part of the vernacular especially um you know as the black lives matter movement grows woke is a part of that in a really positive way i would say um you know we're we're talking about woke in a way um like that bet had a special on it um we're talking about it in pop culture as like a thing that you would want to be you know you want to be woke you want to be awake you want to be aware and then it starts twisting, I would say, in 2020 um, when George Ford was murdered by police and there was a quote unquote racial reckoning. I really do not like that term because what was reckoned with? I, well, I don't know. We've already slid backwards. So let's not. Do exact, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so around then is when the right starts twisting it and demonizing it 
And, you know, they took a word that signals progress and tried to shut down that progress and any attempts of social activism and pushing racial racial equality forward by, you know, referring to the quote unquote woke mob. And that was, you know, in, in backlash to Black Lives Matter. It was also in backlash to like the, the Me Too movement. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you know, the worst thing you could do was get quote unquote canceled by the woke mob. And according to the right, those people doing the canceling was woke people. So, you know, in this push to ban books and ban curriculum, you saw this word alongside critical race theory, which is also a term, I think, that has been twisted and used in ways that is like far away from its original context and original meaning. Who used that and who actually did that? Jason Kenney in Alberta. Mm. Yes, he was yes. Thinking about the speech from the throne, he was yeah. something about CRT and woke culture and something like mm-hmm. that. So it's very much like I wouldn't say come to Canada because I don't really believe in the 49th parallel really being mm-hmm. born. But, you know, for all of Turtle Island, it became um I just assume they're talking about black people. Yeah. Yes. Woke means anti black. Well, when in that context, I will say that it does mean that um, because you look at the biggest example I can give is Halle Bailey um, in The Little Mermaid. And this is bringing it around to pop culture, as you said, that, you know, we could take pop culture and it can really tell us a lot about society. When they announced that Halle Bailey was going to be playing The Little Mermaid, Ariel, people lost their minds. And they kept being like, this is a woke mermaid. What in that context could woke possibly mean other than black? The only difference here is that she's a black girl, you know? And so, you know, people were calling, uh, I referenced this in the piece as well. Um, this woman was went on this Twitter tirade because she was at the grocery store or at the drugstore and saw um band-aids or bandages that were brown like they were for people with brown skin and she called them woke bandages (laughs) it's like again that is a stand-in for black or for brown like this it has bent into a slur um i would say and when i hear people using that word and it is another thing i reference in the piece in talking to people i reported or talked to to various activists and they were like i don't use this word anymore because it's been so co-opted and it is used by white people, specifically racist right wing people to um, to just be a stand in for anything progressive for black people, for anything. You see this in pop culture all the time. If there is a cast announced and God forbid the cast is not all white. It's oh, my gosh. Marvel is so woke all of a sudden. Because they dare to adapt the superheroes that already exist in the Marvel canon that are not white. Like, yeah, a lot of these characters already freaking exist. Yeah. <laughs> they just dare to put them on on screen now. These people will 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 act like characters, fictional characters were historical figures that they it's have wild to get to the me. stuff right. And even if they want to stoke a figures, who cares? Like, just you, you can just not watch it and keep it moving. You know that that's an option, right? 
Mm-hmm. But yeah, I do. I think you're right in that the term, and it's also it's funny because in I would say in certain black communities, the word woke was also turning into kind of a joke. Like mm-hmm. by the time BET was having a special called like "Stay Woke," whatever the subhead was, and around the time like Hulu put out the show "Woke," like being like, "Oh, you're you're so woke" or "Stay woke" or whatever was still you were kind of joking at the time, right? Mm-hmm. But it was it was ours and it was our thing because there is, I think, a critique to be made of people who are like virtue signaling too much yes. and who are a little bit too like look at me, I'm so woke, quote unquote. I think yeah. there is commentary and criticism, criticism to be made about that. But that's not what's happening mm-hmm. on the other side when they talk about that word. Mm-hmm. Word When that word left our communities, it turned into something completely different. And so I don't want to say that like, you know, we completely were using it in a non-ironic, sincere way because we weren't. But then it left our community and then it became something else and and... I do think it's it's I think it's sad that it feels like it's not ours anymore. Well, in your piece, you quoted Kiara and Bridges and Bridges, uh, author and law professor. And you said and she said slang amongst black people is a love language. And Mm -hmm. I was just like, oh, yeah, you took the N word and made it a love language. Like, yes, absolutely. Like, and that's who why who does that? Who yeah. does that? And that's why she called it a double violation, mm-hmm. right? To not only take that away from black communities, but then also to then weaponize it against those black same people. communities. Yeah, yes. Yeah. So yeah. that's the double violation: is like taking it from us and then turning it around and spewing it back at us. And that really sat with me because I was like, yes, that is the most frustrating part of it. But our whole pop culture vernacular is based from Black communities. Yes. Mm -hmm. Even 24-7. I remember when I first heard that, it was in a rap song. Yeah. So much of it. And then also, not even just uh, Black communities, but specifically the Black queer community. Like, oh, now, I would say, say now. That. Yes. Yeah. I would say now so much of what we say is from, like, the ballroom communities. Yeah. To get even more specific. Yeah. Um, and it's just so interesting to me that, like, yeah, those exact same people who are oppressing those communities are probably, you know, going home and then being like, yes, queen. Yeah. Oh, my <laughs> like, God. Well, you mentioned the MCU. And so we have to talk about Jonathan Majors. Do we? (laughs) Uh, We'll keep it short. Okay. And so Jonathan Majors, who I didn't realize he was on Lovecraft Country. Yes. Like he kind of just came out of nowhere for me. And that's when I knew I was getting old. (laughs) Seriously. So after a three-week trial and two days of jury deliberation, Jonathan Majors has been found guilty on charges of misdemeanor assault and harassment. Uh, This stems from a domestic dispute from his then-girlfriend, Grace Jabari. Um, I think it's really interesting because when I saw, and, and the way we just approach masculinity because when Jonathan Majors was on the come up, I remember seeing him in magazines wearing like less structured wear, more quote unquote feminine colors in mm-hmm. his clothes. And 
Yeah, he was on the cover of Ebony wearing all pink. All pink. That's the one I'm thinking of. Yeah. And it just, he was like being marketed as the quote unquote nice guy. Mm -hmm. And I feel like this is an example of the quote unquote nice guy being like the devil under or the, you know, the serpent underneath. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot to unpack there. I think that historically abusers are very calculated and, um, you know, they try to position themselves in a way that would be in stark contrast to that behavior. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I also think, you know, we were, starved at the time for that kind of a representation mm-hmm. of a black man yes. um that stood in stark contrast to masculinity to this like toxic masculinity mm-hmm. um, and jonathan majors filled that void you know he he came in and 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 i think it is important not to rewrite history and say like oh we always knew something was off with him or i think that it is important to say that no I was a fan. We were fans, you know, and um, everything that we saw was like refreshing and great. And he is a talented person. I also think we shouldn't take away the fact that talented people do horrible things. And that talent does not um, give them a pass for these horrible things either. I think the two things can be absolutely true. And I think that um, he was able to shield himself because after this came out um about this specific case and this this victim there were allegations um of his onset behavior that he was verbally abusive to people on set that back in his yale school drama days that um he had been abusive to to people at school like that the people had known about yeah. this man yeah. but because he's so talented and because he kept getting these roles and kept getting these opportunities everybody stayed quiet because they didn't want to say anything. And I think that, especially in Hollywood, that is the system that enables this abuse to continue. So yeah, it's a, you know, it's a tough one. And I think for us, I'm the deputy director global of Refinery29 Unbothered's editorial. And we covered this. We, um, I had a writer, a very, very talented writer named Shamira Ibrahim. I had her write a piece on um, Jonathan Majors and domestic violence and the response we got from some of our audience was like why are you trying to tear a black man down why would mm-hmm. you do this mm-hmm. and now i mean i feel like those people owe us an apology because the man has been convicted so <laughs> we don't even have to say allegedly anymore but it's interesting to me that that mindset that like we can't say anything about this person just because he is black is the exact same thinking that allows for this abuse to continue because you don't want to say anything because you liked him because he's black and because he's talented. That's why Bill Cosby got away with everything for so long. Um, That is why nobody wanted to believe Amber Heard in the Johnny Depp trial because Mm -hmm. people love Johnny Depp as an actor. Mm -hmm. And I just want to tell people as someone who loves certain celebrities and who loves actors and who really enjoys movies and brings me a lot of joy it does not matter how pow how it does not matter how talented these people are they will wield their power in horrible ways that is true for everyone it does 
no celebrity is above reproach. And I think we just need to keep learning this. And Jonathan Majors is a very good example of that. It did it did not bring us any joy to cover this or to talk about it. But we looked at the evidence and we saw what looks to be true and wrote about it and wrote in a way that wanted to protect survivors and protect victims. And that should be our number one priority always. What people forget, too, especially in the black community, is that is that a lot of the victims are black. So that was the same yes, thing. That's now. Yes, that's a, I think that's a big reason why R. Kelly got away with everything he did for so long. Um, but I also think. Even when the victims are white, mm-hmm. there is this conversation that comes up about, oh, these white women are trying to tear a black woman, black man down. It's and the that came up in, conversation, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I think it's offensive to Emmett, Emmett Till. I think it's offensive to his memory. Mm-hmm to bring that in when we talk about this. Like, I, I think it's ridiculous. But yes, people do invoke that memory a lot to talk about this. And people did that in, in Jonathan Major's case because his victim, Grace, is a white woman. To me, again, the number one priority should be protecting survivors and victims of domestic violence. It doesn't matter to me that his victim was a white woman. I don't think that that then makes it an Emmett Till situation, again, that makes me sick to bring in that memory to talk about this. Yeah. The man convicted in a court of law abused her. Mm -hmm. And that should be the priority. That's the narrative that we're talking about. He is now fired from Marvel as soon as his verdict came down. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's, you know, whether or not he, whatever happens in his career in the future, he is facing the consequences for his actions now. Well, thank God. Imagine if it weren't now, imagine how many other victims there would be. Yeah. The more power he amassed. I'm and sure. the more power he amassed. Yeah. He, yeah. Um, which is a beautiful segue for Diddy. Oh, God. Okay. I don't even know where to start with this. There's There have been a lot of rumors in the Black community about Diddy. Uh, about him uh, breaking Kim Porter's nose. And a lot of just other random little bits and pieces. I got a lot of this last year when I was in Atlanta. Okay. Mm. And people always know something. <laughs> and so um, I guess what we have to did he amassed a fortune and amassed power um, based on, yes, the record label, but the accent groups that he had. And so... Mm-hmm. There have been a lot of rumors. There had been a lot of rumors over the years that he wasn't. He was basically stealing from the talent. I remember when when I started thinking, "Wait a minute, does every is bad boy like dead?" Like, there's a lot to unpack here, uh-huh. because so much of this was just around when we were growing up, right? How do you not remember Diddy, Junior Mafia? Um, Biggie, Lil Kim, um, Faith Evans. I mean, that was a time. 94, 95. Mm-hmm. And then later, like Diddy and Mace. Absolutely. Diddy and, ba- Diddy and Mace, of course. Yeah. And so he has just been so instrumental, I would say, in even bringing hip hop to the mainstream. 
I was not. So when Cassie Ventura's um, complaint came out, I actually read this and it's. It, yeah, it's really bad. I mean, it's bad when a complaint has a trigger warning on it. So we're not going to go through the details of the complaint. I'm sure you guys can find that wherever, you know, Google takes you. But um, it's pretty horrific. I did not know that he was that horrific. Like, who knew? Well, the people around him knew. And I guess my what I want to kind of focus a little bit on are the people around him. Like you were talking about the structure that allows these people to um, to intimidate, to harass, to humiliate, to abuse, etc. And how much of this happens when these women are young and how they're almost girls. Didi and Cassie was 19. Yep. What does she know? You know, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's it, right? Like, I think what we need to learn from each of these stories and continue to talk about is the system that upholds these abusers and protects them instead of um, these women. And Cassie is a is a prime example because not only was she very young, she was also signed to his record label. Yeah. So he was her boss. Yeah. And so he had power over her in all the ways. Mm -hmm. um age physically and then also professionally mm -hmm. and um you know you're you're right in that that court document that is a very horrific read but it lays out how he was able to wield this power and that there were times when her face would be completely you know busted because he had beaten her up and mm -hmm. that there was a whole group of people that hid her away yes so that she was out of the public eye until that healed and then she would come back in. Mm -hmm. And there was just people who knew this, who protected him, security. And also there's a whole system in place, but those are there were also a lot of people who also did not have power, who were also victim victimized by him, who probably wanted to help Cassie and felt like they couldn't. Mm -hmm. Um. So yeah, and I think that until we really talk about those power structures and really start to put uh, things in place, protective measures in place for these artists and for these women. Um, nothing I think is going to change and this is just going to continue. And I do think the bravery of Cassie, the bravery of these women coming forward is how we get to that change. Yeah. And so I, I think it was a really, really courageous, incredible thing that she did. Cassie, to come forward to me is is like a hero at this point because absolutely because she's a hero because not only did she speak out I was when I read that complaint I all I could do was say of course on one hand you have so much empathy for what she's been through mm -hmm. on another hand so much anger at the perpetrator and and the people who protected him Mm -hmm. but, I mean, I will say just legally, we have to say that, you know, these are still allegations. Still they, allegations. They were, it was settled. Um, out it was court. settled out of court. But Diddy has still, has since said that none of it was true and that he defends himself from any of these allegations. 
Yeah. There are also multiple women who have who have accused Diddy of abuse. But um, yeah, we just have to say for the record legally that they are allegations and that he has said that he did not do this. The Kim Porter thing is allegations, too. That's just a rumor. OK. Yes. So, yes. Yeah. But it's it's just so funny how how many people in community knew that there was something about him. Um, yep. But going back to Cassie's complaint, what I found so brave of her is the admission of what happened. Hmm. The fact that because this goes beyond what I would call a one-on-one sexual assault. This is a system of assault that he mm-hmm. had around him. He had her phone tapped, her phones tapped, uh, allegedly. Mm-hmm. Things like that. The surveillance, the harassment, that all is part of this. The um, encounters that she explained in the, or her lawyers explained, can be really humiliating to say, I went through this. Mm-hmm. Say, this is my truth and this is what happened to me. Mm-hmm. And I, just for for anybody to admit that out loud is a piece of bravery, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And then, listen, I believe her. We, you know, we have to say, allegedly, we have to say that he says that this didn't happen, but I believe it did. Um, so too and it's heroic because if you believe it then there is less of an opportunity now for him to um enact this abuse on someone else mm-hmm. um he's had to step down from revolt tv which mm-hmm. was the big tv network that he was uh or no what his actual title was president or something but he's had to step down from that he is losing opportunities. He's losing power because of what she did. And so that is heroic to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and and encouraged other women. Yeah, I think so, for sure. So it, sure. She, she made these allegations under um, the New York Act. I can't remember the exact the name of the Act. Survivors Act. There you go. The, the Adult Survivors Act. And there was a small window that you were able to make these allegations of things that would otherwise have been expired under the statute of limitations. And we saw other women come forward and make their own claims um, after Cassie. And I think that she empowered them to do so. Oh, absolutely. I think he has three or four claims right now mm-hmm. that are that are still pending. Um, in terms of the Adult Survivors Act, this was enacted, passed in 2022, which gave victims who were 18 or older at the time they were allegedly abused a one-year window in which to file civil lawsuits, even if the statute of limitations for their claims had expired. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the law under which E.J. Carroll sued Donald Trump and won a judgment. So uh, this has been a very, I would like to see, there are other men, Anthony Cuomo is one, um, what's his name from Guns, Axel Rose from Guns N' Roses, and other men who have also been sued 
under this act, especially in the last few weeks. Yeah. So I think in terms of, at this point, I don't know who's worse, R. Kelly or Diddy, but these were two sort of pillars in the music community. Again, I don't know how talented Puff is, but... <laughs> our- well, this is the thing. He's never been a talented MC, and I think this is part... I mean, if I'm going to make a wild speculation and just, um, you know, psychoanalyze him based on these allegations, and again, this is just wildly me speculating, I would say that part of why he, you know, used his power in such a twisted depraved way is because he actually isn't that talented he actually doesn't have like he's clearly has a good business mind he knows how to spot talent let's say but biggie was always the bigger star and the talent mm-hmm. mace was a, a bigger star a better mc like he had these people around him but did he like this is the man who has that line about uh, spaghetti, fettuccine, and veal. Keep it real, or whatever that line is. Like it's it's terrible. Like it's not good. Such a so, shitty rapper. Like a shitty rapper. And so I think that honestly, if again, if I were to psychoanalyze, I'd say that he took that out on the more talented people around him. I wouldn't doubt it. So let's move on to the other side called taylor swift this was taylor swift's big year <laughs> she had a big year yeah so i'm i'm just gonna preface this by saying for all you swifties out there i'm not a fan and okay. and i will say that i very much respect her mm-hmm. as a songwriter and as a pop star i think that she has some bops yeah i've been revisiting the reputation album because she's about to do that re-release and uh, there are some eternal bops on that album. Um, I will say that I am not a Swifty, though. I uh, respect her musically. I don't uh, love some of her stuff. I don't love, like, I don't love um, some of the way that she puts herself out there publicly. I think that she could probably use that influence in more productive, more powerful ways. Um but I do respect her as an artist, and I do like some of her music. So, you know, maybe I'll take the side of the Swifties in this. <laughs> okay, you need to channel the Swifties, because I certainly won't. I feel like Taylor Swift centers men too much. And if it's not in her in her songs, it's in her, you know, um, celebrity, or the way she moves through celebrity. And that's what bothers me. I'm just saying. But then maybe I'm too old. I don't know. There's so also- it's interesting. I'll push back on her centering men in her music because she writes about love and she is a straight woman. So like, you know, her love songs are going to be about men. Her songs about breakup and all breakups and all of that are going to be about the men in her life. That uh, that I'll say uh, I'm fine with. Um, I will say up until maybe a few years ago, she was like exclusively working with men. And that I will push back on because she has a, a very like, you know, uh, girl boss feminism message that she puts out there. And then I think, again, up until recently, I think she started finally working with uh, like women 
I don't even know about producers because most of the producers I can think of, like a Jack Antonoff, um, they're all men. But I know that she worked with like a woman director on one of her music videos a few years ago. I think she has been slowly incorporating women more into the business and into her work. But for a long time, she was preaching this girl boss feminism and then exclusively working with men. I remember when she accepted one of her album of the year Grammys and then there she was flanked by white men only. She was up there accepting the award and then it was just a bunch of white dudes behind her. And so that's a commentary, I think, on the industry, but also... Once you have the power that Taylor Swift has, you have to use that to then, you know, bring up some some women with you. Um, you could maybe argue she's doing that a bit more now. But yeah, for for a while, I definitely that was one of my biggest critiques of her. Hmm. Also, she looks a little too antebellum for my liking. <laughs> Erica. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I see. If I were to imagine another life for Taylor Swift... <laughs> A white woman married to a slaveholder. Oh my god! No, come on. What is this? I mean, I think I think here's the thing. I think that if you are somebody who looks the way that she does, has the power that she does, and um, you know, a few years ago during Donald Trump's in 2016, during uh, Donald Trump's rise, um, people were using her image and her songs as like an Aryan symbol of white supremacy. Yeah. She had to kind of announce it. Yeah. Uh, but did she? I think that she she ended up finally saying something in support of female Democratic candidates. Um, but the specifically them using her music, I think that behind the scenes there were some legal things that she did, but I don't remember if she came out publicly to denounce that. And I think maybe, you know, the strategy was, listen, let's just hit them legally and, you know, make them stop using my music for that. But I am also like, if you're, if that is happening, would you not want to yell from the rooftops? I want nothing to do with those people. I don't want my image associated with this at all. You know, at the time, again, I'm sh maybe eventually she did, publicly denounce it but at the time I remember being like what is going on why has she not said anything right and I think that you know you're seeing it again with um Israel Palestine and what's happening in Gaza and people wondering you know why has she not said anything and then there's like small subtle things right like she went to um Rami uh she went to his show and that show the proceeds all went to Gaza right. and so her fans were like, okay, that's her message. She's giving us this message. But I'm like, if you have that much no. power, if you have that much power, you need to be a little bit more explicit. So that yes. that's going to be my biggest critique of her. Um, but I, I do think that it is, I think it is hard to navigate that level of celebrity and that level of pop, pop stardom. And I think we all need to look at it like it's a business. Like Taylor Swift is disney mm -hmm. and that is how she is not your best friend swifties mm -hmm. she is a corporation mm -hmm. and she when she takes stances on things when she does things she is doing it very calculatedly it's not a word she's doing it with a very big calculation in mind um it's very curated and it is very purposeful and so i think when you look at celebrities and pop stars i am part of the beehive i love beyonce with all my heart and soul but when 
I look at her more uh, like a corporation, like Taylor Swift as well. I think you're able to to understand the decision making, understand the decision making, but also like detach yourself from these like parasocial relationships we have with them. You know, again, they're not our friends. They're not our family. These are corporations. And yeah, we look to them sometimes for joy and for entertainment. That's okay. Yep. But we shouldn't look to them for anything else, really. Exactly. I don't listen to Real Housewives talk about politics, okay? <laughs> I just want to see them spend money. You know what yes. I mean? Yes. Like, but I will everybody. Absolutely. And so I think there's there's like two things. Lots of things can be true at the same time. So there's the like, on the one hand, they're corporations. And so maybe let's not expect them to do anything else, but keep their business interests in mind. There is a precedent for artists, athletes, celebrities for using their power and influence for social causes and to amplify political message. There is a, a massive precedent for this. You know, Muhammad Ali, Nina Simone, Harry Belafonte, like all of these people, Jane Fonda, we know that there is a precedent for this. So I think when we look at the landscape right now and the most powerful Cynthia celebrities, Nixon. Cynthia Nixon. Yeah. yeah. And no, I mean, of course, there's examples right now currently of artists and celebrities speaking Absolutely. out. Um, but I think that it is it is not an unfair critique to look at a Taylor Swift and or to look at a Beyonce and be like, okay, but where are you now? What are you doing with that power? And what are you doing with that influence? I think it's fair. That doesn't say, that's not to say that you can't still take joy from these artists. Right. If you are a Swifty, if you were start part of the beehive, I am not saying, some people might be saying this, I am not saying that you can no longer experience joy from their work. But you I don't think, I, I don't think you can look to them for leadership. That is the point. Sure, yeah. They should use their power to to platform because they have so much influence so much influence yes and they have influence over their fans especially now because stan culture is out of control out of control yep what what happened like (laughs) i i don't know what happened i was like i remember lady gaga's fans came after me for some reason i can't even remember what it was but i was like are you for real like what is yeah it's it's wild it's it's stand culture is wild i think that part of the thing that's happening is that the like social media has given us even more of a parasocial relationship with these celebrities i think that the individualistic nature of society and the individualism of our culture and social media really has given us this parasocial relationship with celebrities but also I think given people this idea that these artists are are their friends, are their culture, are their everything. And if you don't have a community of yourself, I understand looking potentially to your favorite pop star or to something that brings you joy and putting all of that weight and that energy into them. And so then when someone critiques them, rightfully, you are not able to separate and say, hey, that's not a critique of me as a person. (laughs) So stan culture is like, oh, no, Beyonce is me. And so when you critique her, you are saying that I am not good or my values are wrong. And so then you immediately have the gut reaction to be like, no, you're wrong, and then lose your mind on somebody. And then, of course, on the Internet, everything gets super heightened and then it turns into like death threats, crazy shit that no one would say in real life to somebody Mm -hmm. um but i think that yeah you need to like again i love beyonce 
I don't see it as when someone critiques her that they're critiquing me as a person. But I, I think that that's where stan culture goes, especially with Taylor Swift, who like her fans, she you know, she gets in the DMs and responds to her fans. She very much like talks about them and to them like they are her friends. And so I think they think that. And like, you know, with my friends in real life, you say some shit about my girlfriend, whether I think she's wrong or not, I'm going to stand up for her. Yeah. So here's what I here's one of the interesting things. Okay. First of all, I refuse to watch. I, I I watch both types of football. And so I refuse to watch the Kansas City Chiefs until they break up. Why? Her and Travis Kelsey. Why? I'm tired of them. I want to watch. Okay. Football. I hear you. But I, so I grew up watching football. I kind of fell off the NFL because it's a terrible organization. I am now hypocritical because I'm watching it again. But I will say... I love football. I, again, I grew up watching it. Um, and I love celebrity gossip. And I love romance. I love rom-coms. So as much as I don't really like Taylor Swift, as uh, as she's not my f- favorite artist or favorite celebrity, this Taylor Swift-Travis Kelsey thing feels like I'm watching a rom-com. And so I'm into it. And it feels like old school celebrity gossip. They're giving us the pap walks. They're giving us the hand-holding pictures. Like, it feels very old school celebrity gossip, which I'm very into. So I like it. I'm into it. And I'm watching the Chiefs games. Listen, I have I have two NFL boyfriends right now. It's Travis Kelsey, who I, I think is exceptionally fine. And Jalen Hurts, who is oh, truly Hurts. one of the finest men on but it's not only walking that. the planet right now like whoo, that is that man is 90s rom-com fine. i love jalen hurts okay i love I jalen hurts jalen hurts for i love jalen hurts especially while well, he's fine as hell but um his his like team around him his pr team is this is that his agent women mm-hmm. all women and mostly black women. Mostly black women. Yes. He's, I mean, he's, I just love him so much. Okay. Which is in contrast to Taylor Swift, especially in like with Hertz being in football, like toxic masculinity center. Like, I think it's, I think it's remarkable in some way, even though it shouldn't be. Yeah, it shouldn't be. And But I also, that's, I will say, this is part of what I like about Travis Kelsey because Travis Kelsey also pushes back against this, like, toxic ma- masculinity trope. The, like, overt love that he shows for his brother, Jason, and their podcast is, like, so wholesome and so emotional. They've both cried on this podcast multiple you times. Like podcasts, really? Sometimes. Oh, wow. I don't, you sometimes. are to it. I yeah, I'm like. Joy Taylor. That's I'm me. in deep. I'm in deep. Um. And so they've cried multiple times on this podcast. They're like, you know, talk about their mother in such a beautiful way. Like they actually, Jason and Travis Kelsey, push back against this toxic masculinity trope. And then Travis, how he has been publicly, and again, this could all be very calculated and whatever. I believe they are in a real relationship. I don't believe it's a PR relationship. But I think that how they show up in public and how Travis talks about her is very much like he's just like proud and excited to be Taylor Swift's boyfriend. That, again, is very much in contrast to the like 
the man has to be the man center of attention thing that we've seen over and over again in pop culture in the world star especially for a football star so this is why i like them because he literally just seems like he's proud of her excited and he's like she's the star i'm just kind of here like that's his energy and that energy is attractive to me that energy is like as you should be i think every man in a straight relationship should just have the energy as like wow she picked me i'm here who look at look at my luck look at god that i get to be standing beside this woman truly every single man in a straight relationship should have that energy that is one of my firm beliefs and travis kelsey has this energy as Lori harvey says the women are the prize women are the prize the women are the prize exactly and travis kelsey treats taylor swift like she is the prize I'm into it. Okay, so I have an alternative sort of, um, this is just conjecture and speculation. Oh, all everything I just said about Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift is conjecture yeah. and speculation. I know it nothing is- about these people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I, I feel like Taylor Swift had this relationship with Batty Healy, right? Who was like <laughs> That's- the lead yes. singer of 1975 and... Um, noted waste man yes allegedly a racist (laughs) specifically he showed up on the adam freeland show i didn't i don't even know who this guy is um was offensive uh doing racist impressions of how they imagine rapper ice spices said and referred to her as this chubby chinese lady there's a fat phobia and blackness thing Mm -hmm. Uh uh-huh is and the black woman's body that mm-hmm. I, i'm like just starting to skim i won't i won't really talk about it here but that kind of stood out to me and inuit spice girl during the same episode healy also joked about masturbating to hardcore porn in which black women are humi- humiliated and brutalized now my so she broke up with him i guess the swifties were upset naturally so i'm saying that she had to clean up that image and who better yet who better than travis kelsey who is like black adjacent (laughs) you know um because he he dated kayla nicole for a while who's a black woman and yes she's so stunning by the way i love her um just i love her face i know nothing about her um i okay Okay, I understand. I understand the people who say this is a PR relationship because she needed some goodwill after this like rebound Maddie Healy thing. Mm-hmm. I think that it could be part of it in that uh, Taylor's publicist, Tree Payne, is a noted mastermind when it comes to like, you know, celebrity um, image. And making her client look as best as possible, right? Like Taylor Swift has now a what 10, 15 year career where she has managed to remain relevant and no easy feat. Not it's not an easy feat at all. And be at the top. Like this year, she won time person of the year is probably the most famous, popular than she's ever been after this long ass career. Like that's wild. There's only a handful of people who've been able to do that. So Listen, we got to give Tree Payne her props. And so this is what I think. I think that it was Travis who initiated this, right? Like he went on his podcast, said that he went to her concert, tried to give her a friendship bracelet, 
but she wasn't having it and he was like disappointed and he wanted to put she should his... be disappointed at a friendship bracelet what is this grade eight yeah well okay this is the thing she does this is a thing at her concert people make friendship bracelets they hand them out to each other he wanted to put his number his phone number on his friendship bracelet to give to taylor swift and so he goes on his podcast and he says this and then he's like i wanted to give her my number and it didn't happen and i'm disappointed so he initiates it so i think absolutely Trey Payne sees this and is like apparently taylor's friends were also like hey travis kelsey just shouted you out like girl you should hit that and I think that definitely there was a vetting process where Tree was like, hey, we need a win after this Maddie Healy thing, this weird rebound you had after she was in a long-term relationship. Maddie Healy was the first person she dated after this long-term relationship with Joe Alwyn. With, with so Joe oh. Alwyn, he's an actor. Yeah. Um. So I think that Tree definitely vetted it. I think Tree was like, hey, this is a good look. This is a good idea. You should go on some dates. I think they actually went on some dates. And they actually started dating. I think that it's definitely true that this was like smart PR for them to be together. I don't necessarily think it's true that the only reason they're together is because of smart PR. I just think that it's like they the only reason she even entertained it is because it's smart PR. Mm -hmm. But I think that then they started a relationship because I just don't buy the two grown adults are going to be walking around holding hands just for PR and then like go home and not be fucking <laughs> like i just i just don't i just oh, it doesn't fucking. make sense to me exactly it doesn't make sense to me i'm just like this this is a real relationship but they're also playing the game and i think that's okay well speaking of pr relationship you know bad bunny and kendall like to me that was a <laughs> pr relationship that ended up like nobody thinks about kendall still <laughs> uh i have no idea to be honest i have no idea i have no idea about those two I did not. I did not care for them. That's so boring. Yeah, I, 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 I'm not really. Yeah, I'm not really into that at all. So what do you think of Andre 3000 no longer doing hip hop? Because he's like, I'm too old for this shit. Let me just. Yeah, Erica, you are going all over the place and I love it. Like, how are we now on the flute record? I don't know. But OK. <laughs> um, I have not listened to it yet. I want it wild. I haven't yet. Um, I love Andre. I think that three thousand. I think he can do no wrong. I think he's an he's artist. So creative. He is a true. He's artist. so creative. He's a true artist, yeah. and I think he can do whatever he wants. I I love his new like like almost black beat look. You know what I mean? He has the he has the nice the nice beard. He has like the cap. I like this. It's very. Oh, he's so handsome. Yeah. So I. Handsome. I still like one of my Roman empires that I think about all the time is that he and Erica Badu have a child. Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. Seven. I just, I, I think about it all the time. Um, yeah. I love Andre. I think he could do whatever. I I just love that. I love that these black men are creating more space for a variety of, of, um, by expanding the universe of what a black man can be. And I feel like Andre 3000 has kind of always, sure, he started out with in in really Atlanta hip hop. But, you know, the way he's evolved is kind of, I feel, giving more space to what a black man can be and what he can represent. Like the fact that 
he can he can make a whole flute album and be like and not be afraid of being called soft for example obviously he's in his 40s almost hitting 50 i'm sure so he's not about that he's matured but not all of them do that right shannon sharp anyway <laughs> yeah no i like it i think you're right i think it's like it's a creative freedom that you hope for everybody yeah including black men and so yeah i love this for him so kathleen where can people find you on instagram <laughs> you can at yeah, I'm at Kathleen and B on Instagram, K-A-T-H-L-E-E-N, another N, B, uh, Kathleen and B on Instagram, same handle on Twitter. I'm not really in these TikTok streets like okay, that. I was going to ask about TikTok. No, I'm, I might, maybe in 2024, maybe I will actually be active on TikTok. I, I have a TikTok and I look at stuff. I just don't put anything out there on TikTok yet. So Kathleen. Thank you very much for your brain, your pop culture brain. Thank you for having me. It's been a while. What? It's been a minute. You you are now a friend of the pod because you've been on here twice. Yes. I love so, being a friend of the pod. I. Merry Christmas. Holidays. <laughs> Happy New Year. Um, Kathleen. And we'll check you later. Bye. Yeah. Bye, Erica. Thank you so much. Bye, my bad and bullshit. We'll